What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Many of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, which is my effort to find the most interesting people in the world and sit with them for hours while I ask questions in an effort to learn. So it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe to the show on your favorite audio platform, watch episodes on YouTube, and tell your friends and family about the podcast. My goal is to help millions learn from the world's most interesting people. So let's get into today's episode. Today's episode is with 42 Macro co-founder and CEO Darius Dale. In this conversation, we talk about the labor market, economics, what is going on in the current U.S. economy, and how the Federal Reserve should be thinking about cutting interest rates, keeping them the same, or potentially maybe they should even be hiking them. A lot of that has to do with whether a recession is coming or not, and Darius unpacks it all for us. I always enjoy these conversations, and I hope that they are valuable to you. Here is my conversation with Darius Dale. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Today's episode is brought to you by Espresso, the maker of the world's thinnest portable display. Now listen up, if you're like me, you feel like you are at a command center when you sit down at your desk. I got a gazillion tabs open and different windows for different activities. There's my web browser, my text messages, I have Slack open, and I got a notes app. I normally work on a desktop and it can be very, very productive. But everything falls apart the second I leave my desk. If I'm traveling, if I go to a coffee shop to do some work, or just wanna work from the kitchen table, my laptop doesn't have enough screen space. I lose my command center and my productivity falls off a cliff. It's a major problem. But this is where Espresso comes in. They have a portable screen that is so beautiful that you think Steve Jobs came back from the dead to create it. The thing is incredibly light. It comes with a nice stand and the user interface is so easy that I figured it out. How to do it in less than three minutes. If you listen to this podcast, you know that's not an easy feat. So the Espresso team and I, we became friends. I got to know them because I really liked the product. And those screens, they now want to offer them to any fan of the podcast. So we struck a little deal. Here's how it works. Anyone who listens to this podcast can go to us.espres.so. Or, that's too confusing, just go click the link in the description. If you go to Espresso's website, they've got a brand new offer there sitting for you. You get a little discount and you'll get a beautiful screen. Trust me, I use mine every day. You'll love the Espresso screen, and I think it'll make you more productive. Go check them out today by clicking on the link in the description. This episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Do you like making a profit from sports betting? Well, set yourself up to take home the most profit possible using crypto to fund your sports betting, casino, and poker account at betonline.ag. You can avoid costly transaction fees, get your payouts lightning fast, and do it all securely and anonymously with the highest deposit and withdrawal limits in the industry. If you want to get in on the action, do it the smart way with crypto at betonline.ag. Head to the website, sign up with promo code POMP100 to get 100% bonus on your crypto deposit today. If you go and you deposit, they'll give you 100% bonus if you use promo code POMP100. Bet online. The game starts here. BetOnline.ag. Go check them out today. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got Darius here. Uh, Darius, a great place to start is let's just talk about the economy. Some people think it's hot. Some people think it's cool. Some people think the Fed should cut interest rates. Some people think the Fed is doing a perfect job. But before we get to what we think they should do, let's dig into some data. Low worker turnover? 
is this huge uh, you know, talking point now. And you're saying that it's supportive of an economic expansion. Explain. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for having me as always. It's great to be here. Uh, so this chart where we show uh, Joe's total job openings divided by total unemployed workers, that's that all important ratio uh, that Jay Powell has been uh, guiding us to as, a, as an indication of how much slack or, or tightness is exhibits in the labor market. In the second panel there, we show the private sector hires rate uh, at 3.9% was unchanged month over month in the month of December. That's a below trend rate relative to the 2015 and 2019 trend. Third panel there, we show the private sector's quits rate, uh, which declined to 2.4%, uh, which is the, uh, the exactly the same uh, number it, it trended at prior to the pandemic. And the reason that's important is because when we see lower turnover, as we've seen in recent quarters, uh, it is supportive of the economic expansion because it takes the pressure uh, off of wages uh, in terms of the labor market. Now, when we see this turnover, I also just saw that there was uh, payroll growth yep. is coming in under expectations. Yep. And so how much of this is um, mixed signals compared to, no, some of these data points are actually more important than others. Like this next chart you have is workers that change jobs or experience faster wage growth. And so as we dig into this kind of worker data, what do you put you know heavy emphasis on versus maybe some of the data points that you ignore? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think we do a, a really good job uh, for our clients at 42 Macro of contextualizing all the things that matter within the context of all the various reports uh, that we get out of the U.S. labor market. Uh, it's been a massive week for labor market data in particular. Uh, on Tuesday, we got the JOLTS report. On Tuesday, uh, yet, uh, yesterday, we got the Consumer Confidence Board, Consumer Confidence Report. There are labor market surveys uh, embedded in that. Today, we got the Employment Cost Index uh, and the ADP uh, uh, Employment Report. Tomorrow, we get jobless claims. Uh, and then Friday, we get uh, the actual jobs report. So uh, in terms of focusing investors on kind of the, the general lay of the land, like what, what's actually happening in the labor market, and then we can drill down into the chart specifically, you know, the labor market is cooling, but it is not crashing. And cooling but not crashing is actually supportive for risk. It's it's supporting of this elevated probability of a soft landing in the U.S. economy that is underpinning the current Goldilocks market regime. So let's get into this uh, chart here, number two, uh, where we say workers that change jobs experience faster wage growth. Uh, that's something that we observed in both uh, the ADP median annual pay statistics. Uh, we also observe that in the Atlanta Fed wage growth tracker uh, statistics as well. That's the blue line for uh, the, the growth rate of wages for workers that change jobs relative to the red lines, which are the growth rate of wages for workers that stay at their jobs. So uh, going back to that first chart where we show the private sector hires rate and the private sector's quits rate are now below trend and at trend respectively, having declined over the past several quarters, it's suggesting that we're going to continue to see slower wage growth, wage disinflation uh, in the months ahead, which is obviously supportive of the rate uh, 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 cuts that are projected and priced into money markets. Now, labor hoarding, I never even heard of that before. What What is labor hoarding and what is that telling us? Yeah, so the reason you've never heard of labor hoarding before, because it really hasn't happened throughout our careers. Uh, for the most part, we saw a little bit of labor hoarding uh, in 2018 to 2019, but really uh, it's been a post-pandemic uh, excess fiscal, excess monetary stimulus phenomenon uh, that has really uh, that has really guided the U.S. economy and asset markets over the past few years. So what we mean by labor hoarding is is uh, labor demand just simply outstripping labor supply. Uh, so in this chart on slide three here, uh, we show the total labor force in the top panel, uh, which is still below trend relative to the 20, uh, 2009 to 2019 trend. We show gross domestic income uh, on a nominal basis, which is well above trend and has been since 2021. And then the third panel, we show labor demand, uh, which is household survey, total employment, 
plus Jolt's total job openings. That's the blue line at about 170 million. And then we show labor supply, which is again the labor for the total labor force, which is at about 167 million. The third panel, where we show our labor demand minus labor supply metric, that number is running at 2.7, uh, uh, 2.76 million uh, in terms of excess uh, uh, units of demand relative to units of supply of labor uh, here in the U.S. economy. Uh, and that's obviously really uh, important because it's obviously cost. It's one of those contributing factors uh, to elevate it or slightly above trend uh, uh, sort of wage growth. And so the the, the bottom panel there, we just, um, you know, we show uh, we break out labor demand uh, in terms of household survey employment, the blue line uh, and total job openings, uh, the red line. And what we see is that the red line has been the only uh, statistic responsible for generating the slack uh, in the labor market uh, that we've observed in the past couple of years. Recall that the spread between labor supply, uh, sorry, labor demand and labor supply peaked at right around uh, just north of 5 million uh, in, in, the, in the first quarter of 2022 and has obviously declined again uh, towards uh, 2.8 million uh, currently. So all that slack that we've created in the labor market has really come at the expense of the red line in the bottom panel there, which is total job openings. We have not seen uh, a broad-based decline in total employment, which is why we continue to call it labor hoarding. Companies are willing to take down job openings and slow the rate of, of wage growth, but they're not willing to fire people, which obviously would cause a recession. So in our opinion, we think this dynamic is persistent, is likely to persist, uh, because at worst, corporate executives are only anticipating a shallow recession. I would argue that, you know, just based on consumer and business confidence metrics, that that expectation of a shallow recession is actually moving in a positive manner towards expecting a soft landing uh, and the sustainability of the business cycle. Now, you say shallow recession. Um it feels like a lot of people just expect the recession to come. We can go through a whole bunch of data points as to why they're expecting that. Um, but this other slide you have is saying that there's a number of indicators you guys are watching that shows a low probability of a recession. So it feels like the mainstream conversation is, of course, a recession's coming. How severe will it be? But maybe you're saying something else might happen. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in our opinion, the probability of a soft landing remains the highest probability outcome in the U.S. economy. Uh, we are not in the soft landing camp. We're not in the no landing camp. We're not in the hard landing camp. We're in the camp that allows us and our clients at 42 Macro to make money. And we've been in the soft landing camp. We've been renting the soft landing camp since November 1st of last year in terms of anticipating and calling for a soft landing Goldilocks trade. So that obviously was uh, spot on uh, in terms of uh, in terms of helping our clients profit from that from that view. Uh, in terms of this chart here, uh, our Fab Five recession signaling indicators, and these are handpicked time series from you know uh, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of time series that we analyze that uh, that and ultimately uh, give investors the best lead time with the sport with respect to reporting and also the most consistency with respect to accuracy uh, of projecting uh the, the projecting a rising or falling probability of a developing recession uh here in the u.s economy uh so uh, i mentioned uh we got the conference board uh, uh consumer confidence index yesterday uh the labor survey differential uh within the context of that report ticked up uh, by 8.4 points month over month in January, which is the fastest month over month delta we have seen in that time series since I want to say May of 2021. Uh, and so we're obviously moving in the wrong direction from the perspective of anyone who is positioning for uh, a hard landing or is anticipating a hard landing outcome. And so brought in, in mass of these five data points, the only temporary employment uh, in terms of the uh, three-month annualized rate of change there of minus 13.3%, only one of these five 
uh, is, is, is signaling a high probability of a developing recession. Three are signaling a low probability, and one is signaling a middling probability. So in balance, uh, we don't think there's a tremendous amount of risk uh, of a hard landing here in the U.S. economy because the leading indicators uh, that we have hand uh, selected based on our, our our careful research and 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 understanding of these critical economic dynamics um, that's support that suggests that you know recession is not really something that we need to be concerned about uh, as investors. Now. Let's say that a recession is not something we need to be concerned about. Then obviously, we probably should keep interest rates where they are. Do you think that we should be hiking them? I would actually argue that maybe we should be cutting interest rates. Not a lot, maybe like 25 basis points with an eye to do like 50 to 75 basis points throughout the year uh, as a way to kind of start easing back uh, so we don't overshoot. But how are you thinking about if you're you know, the Fed chairman and you got to make these interest rate decisions, given the data that you've got and the low probability of recession that you're seeing, do you just leave them where they are? Yeah, great minds think alike, my friend. The Fed uh, in December uh, acknowledged the the market's pricing of rate cuts uh, throughout 2024 and into uh, over the next couple of years. Uh, and that, in my opinion, that that's very warranted, uh, given exactly what you said, which is uh, they should be reversing course uh, to avoid overshooting and over tightening the economy. Uh, recall that the Fed uh, thinks about policy, its policy rate from the perspective of the real rate, not perspective of the nominal rate. And right now we continue to see uh, very obvious signs of inflation crashing lower. Um, if you go back to Friday's uh, PCE report for the month of December, uh, we got core PCE uh, in that report, uh, both the three-month annualized and six-month annualized rates of change of core PCE, the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, are at or below 2%. And so, you know, with that or below two percent is obviously well off the three to four to five percent uh, rates of uh, uh, rates of inflation that we observed in in the last few years when the Fed was, you know, anxiously uh, tightening policy at the fastest pace in forty years. So uh, now that we are seeing pretty uh, pretty clear and obvious signs that inflation is likely to continue trending lower on a year over year basis over the medium term, it is a signal to us as investors, but also to the Fed as policymakers that they actually do need to tone down the the nominal level of the policy rate uh, just to maintain the same real rate uh, as inflation continues to come lower so in our view it's good policy uh it's 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 piggybacking on the great policy uh, that we continue to observe out of the uh, treasury uh the treasury we got the qra the qra this week of the quarterly funding announcement and um the coupon auction size is surprise to the downside the net financing surprise to the downside bond issuance continues to be well subdued uh you know if you look at their cash balance estimates for into quarter q1 into quarter q2 uh the tga is above that which implies right around a hundred billion dollars of fresh liquidity waiting to be pumped into the system you know so this there's a lot of really positive dynamics that are uh sort of uh, being pumped in asset markets from the perspective of monetary and fiscal policy here in the us and guess what it's for good reason it's for all the reasons we identified uh going back to um you know late october early november of last year in terms of accelerated immaculate disinflation uh, evidence of a resilient us economy uh persisting but a cooling but not crashing labor market that is ultimately taking the winds uh, sorry, taking pressure out of uh, wage growth, uh, which obviously is, is supportive and a guiding feature for all these uh, positive dynamics. Now, when you see the Fed uh, as one component, we also have the politicians on the other side. And they just they lost their minds. They're printing money. They're dropping fiscal <laughs> stimulus from every corner that they got. Um, proxy wars, uh, infrastructure bill, Chips Act, name all the other crazy things that they want to do. Uh, should the Fed consider? those inputs into the economy and can they somehow predict what the politicians are going to do in that changing their monetary policy decisions like it almost feels like in 2020 they were on the same page cut rates print money 
Now it feels like the Fed was like, let's tighten. And the politicians were like, screw you guys. This is too much fun. Let's just keep you know pushing money into the economy. So how do you think about the relationship between the politicians and fiscal versus the central banks and uh, the monetary policy? Yeah, no, I think they're getting increasingly less correlated um, to your point. Um, if you think about what's happening with fiscal policy here in the U.S., uh, we continue to observe a very positive fiscal impulse, albeit getting less positive at the margins. And less positive at the margins is a negative uh, uh, sort of um, signal for the economy and ultimately for asset markets. I think we discussed that uh, the last time I was on with respect to uh, the change in our macro weather model signal for for the stock market, for instance, uh, going from bullish uh, to neutral with respect to the rolling through month forward uh, outlook. Um, so that's that's something at the margin that we are observing. Like if you look at the uh, the year over year nominal delta of the federal budget deficit, it's up about three hundred twenty billion dollars year over year in the month of December. That's down from up being up about eight hundred and thirty five billion dollars year over year in June, right? So like we were pumping a tremendous amount of money uh, into the economy vis-a-vis -vis the federal budget deficit. Uh, then we are still pumping money, uh, more money into the economy vis-a-vis -vis the federal budget deficit on a year over year basis. It's just a lot smaller than it had been. Uh, but again, still positive. The fiscal impulse is still positive. It's just not as positive as it as it was. And and you know, we obviously have a an election where it's an election, general election year, you know, we're not going to, uh, I don't think anybody wants to hear you or me talk about participate, pontificate about what's going to happen uh, in the election. Uh, but the one thing I will say is we've done, obviously, as always, a tremendous amount of work uh, in trying to help investors, clients uh, understand and ultimately position and profit from, you know, some of these critical dynamics. Uh, one thing we note is that stock markets usually does really well uh, in an election year, especially when a Democrat uh, is an incumbent president on the ballot. Uh, obviously, Joe Biden is not going to uh, for for you know if if Joe Biden is going to lose the race, it's not going to be because he didn't try uh, in terms of spending uh, fiscal spending and, and pumping money and funds into the economy vis-a-vis -vis the Chips Act, the Inflation Reduction Act. I think there's another act as well. Uh, but the the, you know, the end of the day, uh, you should be expecting these kinds of positive fiscal impulse dynamics. You should be expecting uh, positive monetary policy dynamics just based on what's happening in the economy. So um, you know, just kind of summarizing all this, a lot of bears have just been wrong about you know, kind of right down the middle of the fairway stuff, monetary policy, fiscal policy, growth, inflation. You can't afford to get these things wrong as an investor. And in my opinion, I think the reason a lot of investors have gotten these things wrong over the past two to three years is because they're spending entirely too much time on Twitter. That's not an investment process. It just isn't. Now, we've got over the last one year, the S&P is up 20%. Uh, year to date, it's up about 3%. NASDAQ had a monster year last yep. year. What is your expectations given where the economy is, low probability of recession, Federal Reserve is going to do what it's going to do? Are you expecting this to be another monster year for kind of tech and, and magnificent seven, et cetera? Or do you think that this will kind of be a reversion back to maybe more of the historical type returns, you know, in that like six to 10% uh, for, uh, for the stock market? Yeah, probably the latter. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, very positive tailwinds, uh, you know, supporting asset markets here, but the starting point uh, of under positioned investors and, 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 you know, kind of reasonable valuations just don't exist. Uh, like they existed uh, at the beginning of last year. Now, that's not to say that uh, we're bearish or there's any uh, negative things that are, uh, have really hit the tape yet. You know, one of the things I think we do uh, as, you know, on a, on a very institutional high end buy side level for our clients, 42 macro that most sell side research providers don't do is, you know, sort of a daily Bayesian grind through all the information and through all the the, the models that, that really um, that we need to be abreast of as investors to make, you know, important critical pivots in our portfolio. 
And, you know, we continue to refresh the same models every day, six days a week here, 42 macro. We continue to analyze the same data sets every single month. Every time it's uh, the jolt report comes out, the conference board report comes out, the unit labor cost comes out, productivity comes out. We analyze those exact same data points month after month after month after month, uh, quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter, so that we can spot critical inflections in real time. And the reality is we have not seen any fundamental data point, you know, critically inflect. Uh, in a way that would be materially threatening uh, to the current Goldilocks top-down market regime. Now, that doesn't mean it is not coming. It may come tomorrow in the, in the form of a really negative uh, outcome in terms of the Q4 productivity report or the unit labor cost data. It may come in the form of an adverse outcome uh, in the form of, 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 of Friday's January jobs report. Uh, we also have meta earnings. Uh, we, I think we have Amazon earnings tonight. We got Apple earnings of tomorrow on Friday. So there's a lot of information between now and, and you know, kind of 4 p.m. Friday, uh, uh, Friday afternoon uh, that suggests that, you know, what I just said about the fundamental, uh, the positive fundamental developments changing at the margins, but until they change, and, and or until uh, our medium term quantitative risk management signals say that, you know, Goldilocks is a low probability of surviving, we're not going to change. We're going to continue to be bullish. So uh, obviously you can check uh, our clients will check back with us uh, tomorrow for those updates. Where can we send people to find you on the internet or find out more about 42 Macro? Well, only if they like making money. If they like making money, definitely come to 42macro.com. <laughs> if you don't like making money, then uh, God help you. Uh, I have, you know, just follow me on Twitter. Uh, Darius Dell at 42 is my Twitter account. I always appreciate it, man. I learned something and I appreciate your uh, balanced approach to uh, whether we're going to have a recession or not. As you see more and more soft landing commentary come up, uh, usually that is not a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> but no, we yeah, definitely- look, it, be, I know we want to wrap it up, but I, let's, let's, I, I do want to leave on this. Uh, I think you brought up a good point, right? The, the, if we look at our positioning model, you know, one of the things we try, we track a variety of the different indicators in our positioning model, whether it be valuation, whether it be uh, positioning survey based or hard positioning in the CFTC report. Uh, we track uh, you know, investor allocations via the AI survey. So we're, we're constantly monitoring positioning in the context of those long term time series so that we could spot, you know, sort of extreme values that would signal uh, it's a good time to take the other side of a trade or calling for a pain trade. We call for the pain trade higher uh, at the beginning of November in the context of the soft landing. Uh, it's signals that we got from the economy. Right now, we are starting to get some elements of our positioning model that suggests now is a good time to be tactically reducing uh, a market risk. That doesn't necessarily mean Goldilocks is about to end from a medium term perspective, you know, three, four, five, six months. But it does suggest that, you know, we could get a pullback here, uh, a correction in stocks, you know, on the order of five to eight percent, which is very normal, very healthy. And I don't think anybody should, uh, you know, kind of lose any sleep over something like that. I love it. All right, we'll definitely do it again in about two weeks. So let's uh, let's hope that nothing crazy happens between now and then. Absolutely, but hope hope is not an investment strategy. It's not a risk management process. Forty two macro is a risk management process. 